Our Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 17. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in this presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since we are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy you have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Well, thank you to uh, Sarah for having uh, read that this evening. It's really great to uh, be here uh, and to be together again. I've just got back from uh, some holiday uh, in Devon and Cornwall. Uh, there was lots of opportunity for uh, hill walking, uh, lots of opportunity to see various aspects of the coast, lots of opportunity to indulge uh, in a cream tea or two. Uh, and to visit lots of uh, local uh, cafes, Uh, but it's especially good, having enjoyed that, to be here this evening and to be together again. Uh, As I was sat there in some of those uh, cafes uh, enjoying a cream tea, uh, there was one thing that I found both simultaneously infuriating and actually quite good fun at the same time. I wonder whether it's the same for you. The infuriatingness, if that's a word, of hearing somebody else's voice penetrate the entire cafe with their mobile phone conversation. The fun of trying to piece together what's being said at the other 
ends of the conversation. Uh, For those of you who are a similar vintage to me, you might remember the two Ronnies. Vintage comedy, many of you will be too young uh, to know who the two Ronnies are. But when I was sometimes being babysat with my uh, grandparents, uh, uh, they liked to watch the two Ronnies. And one particular sketch has Ronnie Barker on the phone to his girlfriend. You can't hear her end of the conversation. He's on a public payphone. Uh, They did exist once upon a time. Uh, And Ronnie Barker is having a conversation with his girlfriend. Stood next to him is Ronnie Corbett, having a conversation with his wife about a list of shopping groceries that he's going to buy on the way home. And the comedy lies in the interaction of those two conversations going on side by side when you can actually only hear one side of the conversation. You're left to consider what might be being said at the other end of the line. And in a neat, not necessarily exact segue, that's sort of what's going on in Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church. You see, when we read Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, we only get one end of the conversation. We get his letters. We're left to imagine what's being said at the other end that we can't hear. And so in the background of what Paul writes, there's the illusions, there's the faint whisper of some of the issues and questions that the Thessalonian church are bringing up. Perhaps they've written to Paul. Perhaps they themselves have sent word back to Paul and they're wanting these questions answered. And in their own questions, there's also the faint suggestion of things that might be being said to them in their context that are perhaps leading them into some kind of confusion or fear and that they're wanting to check out with Paul. And so as we get stuck into this passage tonight, we're going to be doing a little bit of detective work. We're going to be trying to imagine their end of the conversation in part. And we're going to be asking ourselves the question, which voice are we listening to? Which voice are we listening to? It's an important question because there are tons of voices that we are bid to listen to in our society, whether it's the voice of the media, the voice of the radio that we wake up to, the voice of the mobile phone text messages that kick in almost as soon as we're awake. They might even wake us up. The voice of the breakfast TV broadcast, the voices that we uh, encounter in the workplace or in the school context, the voices of the lecture theatre, the culture of the university, the culture of our society around us, the voices of Donald Trump on Twitter that seems to be reported on an almost daily basis, The voices all around the world that are vying for our attention. And the question is, which voice are we listening to? Let's uh, dive into uh, the passage. Uh, You might remember a few weeks ago we were looking at Acts chapter 17 when we kicked off this series. And you might remember that Paul and Silas, his uh, uh, partner in mission, uh, had visited Thessalonica. They had uh, preached the gospel there. There had been a number of uh, Jews, a number of uh, God-fearing Greeks, a number of prominent women who had come to faith. They turned to the true and living God from idols. And then you might remember that Paul and Silas were taken away uh, from the church that they just set up there. And that's where we join the story in chapter 2, verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians. 
We read in uh, verse 17 that Paul and Silas had been separated from the Thessalonian church, uh, in person at least, uh, even if not in thought. In fact, you might remember they were sent away by the Thessalonian church who were fearing for their safety. The Thessalonian church themselves had undergone lots of mob violence. Uh, They'd been dragged in front of uh, the public courts. And you suspect that as this new church is forming, it's probably at that point that the various voices off start speaking in. And it seems from our passage tonight as we look through it that those voices might have been saying three things, which I think resonate with us today. Number one, as a Christian, you're on your own. No one cares about you. Voice number two, being a Christian can't be right because something that's right can't lead to suffering and pain. Voice number three, Christians are a dying breed. You're dinosaurs. No one wants to be on a losing side. We're going to take a look at each of those uh, in turn. So first of all, the first voice in the background, you're on your own as a Christian. No one cares about you. You can almost imagine that being whispered into the ears of the young Thessalonian Christians. Look, even this guy who came and told you this supposed good news, even he's done a bunk and deserted you. And here's Paul's answer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. He says, we were torn from you in person, if not in thought. Our thoughts have never left you. We absolutely longed to see you. And actually, we've made every effort to do so. We wanted to come to you, verse 18. Certainly, I did, Paul, again and again. But Satan, the one whose mission it is to divide and to separate and to steal away, Satan blocked our way. Uh, When not seeing you or hearing uh, your news became too much for us, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, we sent Timothy to you so that we could pick up on your news. So when people in Thessalonica tell you that you're on your own as a Christian and that no one cares about you, they're wrong. It's a lie don't listen to them. We tried to visit you again and again. We're gutted that we've been stopped, but we've sent Timothy to you. You are not on your own. Uh, One of my uh, Christian friends uh, travels uh, the world meeting Christians uh, in other countries. I'm about to see him this week and catch up with his latest batch of stories. They read like something of an adventure book. Uh, He tells a story once of uh, visiting uh, a country in Southeast Asia, of being led by a young Christian chap into a hotel room and into the bathroom of a hotel room. All of this seemed rather odd. It got even odder as the guy disappeared through a small window in the bathroom and beckoned my friend to follow, which he did, and emerged onto a flat roof in the centre of the city to meet 
with the national leadership of the church in that country. That particular roof was one of the few places in the centre of that particular capital city where they could meet without fear of CCTV monitoring or people overhearing or looking in on their conversations. Similarly, travelling to the Middle East to go into a coffee shop in true James Bond style to sit down and to say some inane sentence to a person who was in deep danger from having met with my friend uh, because he was the only known evangelist in his entire country. And when we meet up, I often ask the question, why? Why travel thousands of miles a year to climb through bathroom windows or to sit in coffee shops? Why do it? And the answer is always compellingly simple, and it's the same every time. To let those Christian brothers and sisters know that they're not alone, that there's a church in the UK that loves them and that is praying for them and that is standing with them and is so concerned about them that they want to send somebody out to hear their news, to pray with them, to bring back their stories and to let the world know that Christians around the world are standing together. These folk are not alone. Uh, Also on those trips, he quite uh, regularly meets with the governments in those countries as well to tell them uh, that the eyes of Christians around the world are looking at how governments in those countries treat their minority Christian groups and to let them know that the UK church is looking at them because the Christians who live in those isolated circumstances are not alone. Our circumstances might be uh, very different, but I suspect that at some point in the work situation or in a school or college situation, perhaps uh, where you live, perhaps even in your own home setting, you may sometimes have experienced that voice whispering in your ear, you are so alone. And at that point, I wonder which voice we listen to. Do we listen to that voice? Or do we listen to the voice, along with Paul here, that reminds us that our Christian brothers and sisters are around us, that they're praying for us, Uh, Do we remind ourselves of gatherings like this week by week? Do we gather together, perhaps with Christians in our workplace, perhaps within Christian union groups in the university, within within our school setting, our home groups, perhaps with small prayer groups? Do we do that to keep listening to the voice of truth that other Christian brothers and sisters are around us and we've been given to each other to support each other? We are not alone The second thing that uh, I wonder if sometimes is whispered in our ears uh, is, particularly when the going's tough, is that little voice that sometimes can whisper in, being a Christian really can't be right because it just leads to a whole load of pain and suffering. If that's what's being whispered to the church in Thessalonica, then Paul, from his end of the conversation, 
is particularly clear and helpful. Chapter 3, verse 2. He sends Timothy along because he wants the church to be strengthened and encouraged. Paul is particularly honest and open. Chapter 3, verse 3. He realizes that these trials will come and he wants the church to be strengthened and encouraged so that no one's unsettled by them. If you notice, Paul doesn't try to deny that living as a Christian can sometimes be hard going and that there will be trials. In fact, chapter 3, verse 3, you know quite well that we are destined for them. When we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way, as you well know. But alongside his clarity that suffering actually is part of the deal of the Christian life, Paul's equally clear that it's not the whole deal of the Christian life. Just have a look at verse 6 of chapter 3. But Timothy has just come to us from you and has brought us your news, your good news about your faith and love. Verse 7, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, there's no getting away from it, it's there, but in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live because you are standing firm in the Lord. In fact, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? So Thessalonian Christian, when people tell you that the Christian life can't be correct because it leads to pain and suffering, let's be honest about this. Yes, There is suffering involved. That's part of the deal. We told you about that. We were upfront about that. But also, alongside that, there is real life. For now, we really live. And there's real joy. How can we thank God enough for you? The thing that brought me uh, home to this reality of both the suffering and the joy, I think the most in the last year was the Alpha course that we ran here earlier uh, this year. It's happening again at the beginning uh, of January 2018. Uh, I'd, what I'd been expecting in many ways is what uh, happened. I'd, I'd factored in the, the practicalities, the resources that would be needed, the, the, the people that we would need to, to form the team, the advertising that had been factored in. What I hadn't factored in was the suffering. Uh, For several of those of us who were closely involved in running the Alpha course, there was very real suffering. It was sort of the the out-of-the-blue type of stuff, the very oddly focused but very clearly focused type of stuff that in the words of chapter 2, verse 18 here, led us to increasingly the clear conclusion that here in leafy, very comfortable in many ways, North Oxford, Satan was trying his best to get in the way and stop us doing what God was asking us to do in terms of that course. 
Uh, although I was surprised, as I've talked to people who have led on the Alpha course before, I really ought not to have been particularly surprised. Uh, it seems that that is often part of the deal uh, with Alpha. Uh, in fact, if anything, uh, Satan's methods seem to be uh, rather uh, usual and repetitive in many ways. But neither was it unusual to find that alongside some of those difficulties came the enormous joys of seeing people journey towards faith, people come to faith. The real sense of life that uh, erupted uh, in so many people involved in the course and that I still feel now as I look out on people who came along to our Alpha course and who are now involved in small groups in the church who are going on in their faith and discipleship, suffering and joy hand in hand. I wonder if that resonates with you in terms of what it's like living as a Christian. I wonder if you sometimes catch a drift of a voice in your head saying, saying, give up. It's just all a little bit too much. Really? If there's suffering and pain of this type, is it, is it just really worth pursuing? Is it really true? And at that point, Paul encourages us to tune in to the voice of reality. Certainly, suffering and persecution are part of the deal. But also, there's real joy and there's real life. And that leads us to voice number three. Uh, increasingly, something that you might pick up uh, in terms of either our, our media or perhaps kind of voices off just subtly there in the background. Christians, a little bit of a dying breed. Uh, dinosaurs. Uh, nice to look at in a museum, perhaps, but not really of any relevance today. And no one wants to be on a losing side. Come on, uh, give up uh, and check out something different. Paul's uh, voice from uh, his end of the conversation is loud and compelling. Just have a look at chapter 3, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. God the Father and Jesus the Son get two name checks uh, in that brief prayer. We're reminded that Christians are not on the losing side. How could we be? Jesus has demonstrably been raised from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father and he is coming again. How could that be considered to be a losing side? I'm not sure if you notice the imagery that surrounds the background of that prayer. May our Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father, clear the way. It's, it's, it's a processional victory march. Clear the way. The, the, the heralds that go out before the coming king 
to clear the path for the coming king to return. The, the word that lies behind that is parousia, the coming of the Lord Jesus. It's the word associated with the returning victorious monarch coming through one of those triumphal arches, like at the end of the Champs-Élysées in Paris, a big triumphant arch that the victory king walks through. The way has been cleared in front of them, and the king returns. If there's a voice whispering that Christians are a dying breed, dinosaurs on our way to extinction, here is Paul's reply. The end is clear. Jesus will return and God wins. The winning side isn't any human superpower. It's no compelling philosophical atheist arguments. The winning side isn't any illness. The winning side isn't any enslaving habit. The winning side isn't any crushing emotional or mental tangle that messes with our minds. The winning side is Jesus. We're not on our own as Christians. God is with us and he's given us each other. We might suffer, that is part of the deal, and that was there in the small print and not so much in the small print, but in the large print that was obvious for us. But there's also joy and there is life too. There aren't any dinosaurs here. We're not a dying breed. We're not on the losing side. But we are those who are advised to listen to the right voice. Let me just close Uh, by reminding you of the strength of that voice. Uh, It's uh, my prayer for us this evening uh, as we go on in our service. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. May God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. Amen.